Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all Canada's most irreverent talk show here kicking off another week in 2024. It is Monday, January 8th and boy is it an absolute pleasure to see you. I mean I can't see you but I am looking into a camera and I'm just picturing all of you behind it uh, just uh, beaming back or going about your day wondering why I'm blathering on still. Nevertheless we are just kicking things off here and it's going to be a great show I hope. Uh, This is going to be our last week before we take the show on the road to the Swiss Alps. Now you may remember we've done this a couple of times now and the the well the why I'll tell you a couple of things here. We're going to Davos, Switzerland, which is uh, in the Swiss Alps is where all the billionaires and gajillionaires, uh, gajillionaires is once you convert it to uh, Canadian dollars, uh, cavort and uh, plot world domination and all that stuff. It's not quite as sinister or dramatic as that, but you do see a lot of plotting and scheming there, namely for ways to get you to uh, live with less, to forgo your cars. Uh, well, all of the people then get on their private jets and go back uh, because they play by different rules than we do. So uh, that is what what we're going to be doing next week. The World Economic Forum's 2024 annual meeting is here. And as I mentioned, I can't remember if I mentioned it last week or not, But I'll tell you anyway, uh, we're going with a larger team this year. So uh, Sean and I are going to be going again. He came with me last time. Uh, The first time I I just went alone. So we like keep adding more people each time. Uh, This occasion, we'll see my colleague, True North uh, journalist, Cosman Georgia, also there. And the reason is because there's been such an insatiable demand for World Economic Forum coverage from the True North audience. I've had a number of people that have emailed me and said, I've I've donated specifically to this coverage of yours. So we will hopefully do you all justice. But what I wanted to share about this on this particular occasion with you is that the World Economic Forum does not want us there at all. So in 2022, the first time we went there, we, we tried to do things properly. We reached out uh, months and months ahead of time to their media relations folks and said, hey, we, we'd love to be there and cover it and we'll behave and all that. And no response whatsoever. We tried and tried and tried. And we went anyway, because I've, as you know, I've never let not being accredited get in the way of going and, and doing my job. And one particular gentleman I spoke to there from the World Economic Forum uh, had reached out to me after the words and he said, listen, next time, if you have trouble getting accredited, email me directly. So I did. And to his credit, he made good on his offer. And last time we went with accreditation. I didn't have one. I should have pulled out the badge. I didn't have one of those nifty white badges that means I'm a a global elite. Uh, The white badge with the blue line, by the way, if you're just a white badge, it means you're the spouse of a global elite. So you're still important, but not that important enough. Uh, The, uh, forbid the horrendous grammar of that sentence. But I got my little lowly media badge, which at least let me get inside and uh, let me score a couple more of those gourmet hot chocolates you heard me raving about last time. And so be it. But here's the thing. Much of what we saw with the media badge was really not that different from what we had on the outside. We were still finding the best place to get a hold of people was on their way into security outside of the secure zone. Uh, There are only a few corridors that most people come and go through during the day and during the week. 
We also found that uh, even when you get into the secure area, there are a lot of buildings you can't go to unless you have a white badge. So the main conference center where all the uh, events are happening, we couldn't go to unless we had advanced permission and they would only give you advanced permission for like some weird chunk of the day. So I had like a 45 minute period where I was allowed to walk around and hey, it was a busy 45 minute period. I spoke to the uh, King of the Belgians. I spoke to the president of Serbia. I spoke to the president of Kosovo. Uh, they were obviously on opposite sides of the room, uh, chatted with the president of Lego, who uh, did not want to talk about plastics bans, because I was curious what that would mean for him. But nevertheless, uh, we went in, didn't get hugely more content from the inside than we would have on the outside. But we did have a couple of things, one of which was FaceTime with Klaus Schwab. Now, uh, the only time I've ever seen him was very briefly in a conference room when I was about to ask him a question and he uh, put up his hand and said no and walked into the room behind. So maybe not the most productive interview, but still it was a, an opportunity to ask a question which he did not want to take up. So all of this is a bit of a wind up to where we are now, which is that once again, the World Economic Forum is blocking True North from being in the secured areas. We are not allowed to attend the conference itself. Uh, now, I, no one flagged any issues with my behavior or my conduct last time. Uh, even Klaus Schwab, I mean, he put his hand up, he walked away. I didn't chase him. I didn't tackle him or anything like that. Uh, there were no issues. In fact, a couple of the staff from the World Economic Forum that I had spoken to through the week, we had friendly enough encounters. So why are they changing their tune this time around? Well, one of the changes is that the guy who went to bat to let me in, who is a true believer in the World Economic Forum, so much so that he doesn't think any scrutinizing media pose a threat to the organization. Uh, he is no longer there. He is uh, He's moved on to other things. I don't know where or why, and I don't think there's anything suspect there. But uh, the reason that uh, that matters is because with him gone, there was no real point of contact I could go to uh, that a relationship with. I've emailed pretty much anyone and everyone I knew was there, went through all the official channels, and they will not even give me the opportunity to apply for accreditation because they have a password protected page to even apply and you have to get the password from someone and no one's giving it up. So uh, we are still going. And I think it says more about the World Economic Forum than it does about True North and than it does about me that they do not want scrutinizing independent journalists there. They do not want people that are not part of their invited few. And one of the dynamics I've spoken about in the past here that I find interesting is how much of the media in attendance is not there to report on it. They're not there to cover it. They are there because they are invited guests. For example, one frequent flyer in Davos is the editor-in-chief of the Globe and Mail. You've got reporters and editors from the New York Times, from MSNBC, from CNBC, from CNN, uh, that are all there with their white badges because they are among the elites being feted and venerated. They are not there to report report on what's happening. They are not there to call out, to hold truth to power in any meaningful way or any way whatsoever. So in that way, I think it may be, look, I, I think being in the room as much as we're able to is obviously a benefit because it just gives you that much extra of an opportunity, even if it's, you know, 10% more access or 20% more access, it gives you that much more, but not being in the room says more. 
And I think in a way, it is a bit of a reward for our coverage that they were evidently so threatened by what we did last time around that they do not want me rubbing shoulders, even if in a friendly but journalistically integral way, to have access. They don't. So uh, we are still going back. And I think if anything, we are only going to lean more into our coverage and what we're doing, which is so paramount, I believe, to speaking the truth. The World Economic Forum is not a problem because it's this evil, shadowy cabal of people that are pulling the strings on the world and uh, trying to do all this stuff that affects you. It's uh, bad because they are doing this in the light of day, because they are uh, sitting around putting out these policies that leaders in countries like Canada and the Netherlands and the United Kingdom and even the United States are all too happy to go along with. That is the reason why this is a story. And I've always said to people in our coverage here, that the World Economic Forum, uh, you don't need to invent conspiracy theories. Just take them at their word when they talk about the world they want. And that is in and of itself more damning and more of an indictment of the organization than anything you could concoct about like the shadowy puppeteers in the mountains. They are uh, not all that shadowy, and I, I wouldn't even say they're puppeteers. I think they are people that are putting forward a very dangerous and very aggressive policy agenda that our elected leaders are all too willing to go along with. And I think there's a lot more scrutiny we need to put towards them. For example, no one in the Canadian Parliamentary Press Gallery, so far as I can tell, has ever asked Christian Freeland about her role as a member of the Board of Trustees for the WEF. Uh, when I tried to ask her, she ran away and scurried as quickly as she could through security. Oh, no, sorry. I got her on the other side of security. She uh, scurried into one of the secure areas into which I could not follow her. Uh, you may wonder, why does that matter? Well, would we allow a deputy prime minister of the country to sit on a corporate board or to be a lobbyist? No. Well, why should she be able to sit on this non-governmental organization that has an aggressive policy agenda that it wants countries, including Canada, to go along with? Seems like a reasonable question, right? Well, you won't find legacy media in Canada willing to ask it. And by the way, I had to go all the way to Switzerland to be able to get into the same room as Christian Freeland to be able to ask the question myself, even if she didn't give an answer. Uh, the CEO of BMO, you may recall last year, I spoke to him on the streets of Davos about why he wanted to, by his own admission in a call that was tabled before the Public Order Emergency Commission in Canada, treat the convoy tr protesters like terrorists. No one in Canadian media asked the question. No one from BMO got back to us when we asked them for comment about it. But on the streets of Davos, you tend to run into the rich and powerful, and they can't hide from you as much as they try to in the safety of their Ottawa or Toronto offices. So all of that is why it is important to be there, and it's why we're going to go, and it's why we are not going to be dissuaded from doing our work by something as simple as not having one of those uh, pesky identification badges, uh, which, by the way, people did, got mad at me for this. I had to get a PCR test uh, to get one of those badges. I had to do this like weird uh, saliva gurgling thing, which I won't, I was about to mimic it for you, but I, I won't, I'll spare you that image. Uh, but this weird saliva gurgling thing and my badge would only be activated when my test was negative. So it was like the epitome of like the digital ID version of the future they want right there. Uh, but I don't know if they're doing the uh, the gurgle test for uh, the delegates and media and whatnot this time around. But I had all these people saying, why did you give them your DNA? I was like, well, we all do what it takes to get the story. So uh, with that aside, we'll have more coverage as the week progresses and a little bit of a glimpse at what you can expect next week. And then of course, next week, we will be doing the show live from Davos. So uh, you won't want to miss that.
But I do want to talk about something closer to home here. And this is something that is, I don't want to say I'm in disbelief because very little surprises me, let alone shocks me. But I do think it is quite disgraceful. Now, you may remember during the Freedom Convoy protests a couple of years back, there were horses that were as part of a crowd control maneuver deployed. And there was, I've talked about this a lot and it's in my book, but there was a break in the formation at one point and the horses lurched forward and ended up knocking over a woman who had a walker, an indigenous woman by the name of Candace Ciro. Now, the use of mounted police in crowd control is incredibly controversial for a number of reasons, as is the use of indiscriminate things like pepper spray, which was also used, as I learned the hard way, that same time. But those horses didn't belong to the Ottawa police. They didn't belong to the RCMP. They belonged to the Toronto Police Service. They shipped up their horses because the Toronto police, it was believed, could play a role in containing the protest. The Toronto police also uh, shipped up this drone that they had. And I, on the last day when they were kind of packing up to go home, I stumbled upon the Toronto police crew taking a selfie with their uh, bajillion dollar drone. Because, you know, what better way to celebrate a job well done than using that equipment to take a big proud selfie in front of Parliament Hill. That is how the Toronto police handled one particular protest in recent memory in Canada. This is how Toronto police were handling a protest in Toronto over the weekend. I told them they can't come back, otherwise he would have said, okay, I understand. Okay, I'll, I'll just ask just, I just, said. just so. Sorry, it's the first thing that's about. Jihad? Yeah, How did uh, how did you get coffee from the police? Uh, well, not the police. Someone get, someone has brought it for us, but the police won't let them in. So the police are now becoming our little messengers between us. I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. So that is a gentleman in a kafia. Uh, I'm using gentleman in the most liberal way possible, which has been taken up as the sign of resistance against the Israelis, against Jews, uh, being hand-delivered a carton of coffee by a Toronto police officer, right up there with RCMP officers helping people with their luggage across Roxham Road in Quebec. Now, oh, apparently Toronto police didn't buy the coffee. No, they were just delivering it to the point where the protesters blocking a bridge in a Jew Jewish neighborhood. Remember the talk about critical infrastructure a little while ago? Yeah. Uh, blocking a bridge on Avenue Road in Toronto, getting hand-delivered coffee by Toronto police. Now, uh, the Toronto police chief has said that he is launching a full inquiry into everything that went down on that one day. But I think it's true the Toronto police have picked their side here. And it is people who are in Toronto's Jewish community, not even in the community, just Jewish people in Toronto, that I believe should be very nervous about what is likely to come here. Ari Goldkind is a criminal lawyer in Toronto. It's always good to talk to him. He joins us now. Ari, good to talk to you, sir. I mean, you, you as a criminal lawyer, I know, have probably a greater skepticism of police than many people do. But what's your read when you see this? So, Andrew, let's I appreciate that introduction. And let's not leave out that I am a Jew in Toronto. Now, I don't believe in the man upstairs. I believe in Judaism culturally and that there is something unique about my culture. This has nothing to do with religion. So I can tell you that this is as somebody, Andrew, that you would know has been very outspoken to support the police. Let's be very clear about this, Andrew. I'm a criminal defense lawyer and I make a very healthy living going after cops. But when I'm not in court, and sometimes even when I am in court, I am very supportive of the police and what they have to deal with. 
That stops today on this issue. This is one of the most disgraceful situations I have ever seen in Toronto policing. And I've been doing what I do for over 20 years. You look at the double standard here. You look at the way the rule of law has been tossed to the side. Somehow Tamara Leach, Chris Barber, truckers who didn't want to be forced to take a vaccine that doesn't really work. And I'm pro-vaccine and I'm still saying that who wanted to be able to earn a living, pay their mortgage. Somehow they were threats to Canada. But these people, as you mentioned, Andrew, who are nowhere near a consulate, nowhere near a legislature, have specifically picked a Jewish area. And not only were they smart to do it because they wanted to test what would the pushback be? Well, the pushback is absolute submission. And people who understand the word submission and how it comes into play here, I'm using it for a very specific term, because this has as much to do with Palestine, Andrew, as you and me flying to the moon tonight, which ain't going to happen. This is purely Jew hate. This is purely Canada's fastest growing demographic, proving that not only do they have the Trudeau government in their pocket, Mr. Polyev, and I say this, Andrew, I'm a fan of his, He's been extraordinarily silent about this. Doug Ford has been extraordinarily silent about this. People are unwilling or afraid to take a line in the sand here because they know where the votes are. And I can assure you that Jews like me and people with the last name Goldkind, the politicians have done the math. My numbers don't matter anymore. My demographic doesn't matter anymore. Then you add in to the end of my answer, Andrew, the Toronto police being feckless, in my view, aiding and abetting ongoing crimes. There are ongoing crimes here. Just masking at an assembly is a crime that got people arrested at the G20. Just the coffee and the donuts and the mealy-mouthed, feckless response from the chief of police who's anything else if this isn't a wake-up call to non-Jewish Canadians, Andrew, forget that there aren't, you know, I, I, I'm a dwindling number. But if you think this is just about Jews, Andrew, or your audience say, oh, it's just the Jews, don't worry about it. I'm sorry. I'm at the top of their food chain simply because I'm Jewish. But when they're done with me, you're the next infidel. And that hopefully is something that the Canadian public is waking up to. You gave a lot there that I, I want to unpack, so I'll, I'll try to be somewhat and systematic. I apologize for that, but you can see I get very wound up about. Well, this. And as you should. I mean, this is. I mean, for me, it, it offends me on so many levels, but for you, it's personal. And I, it's personal. I, I know a lot of people that live in that part of Toronto, and I, I can't over. I can't overstate what you've said there about uh, where they're protesting. I have a very, very high threshold, as the convoy demonstrates, for uh, how disruptive protests should be. But I, I think there's a. A, a, a caveat there, which is that they should be targeted towards government. I, I believe there is a different standard of blocking Wellington Street than there is of walk, blocking some private residence because you you don't like someone. And that was why when we saw the displays against businesses in Toronto, it was very, very different. And when we see this, again, even if we want to say that they have a right to make their point legally, which is, is dubious, you have to ask the why. And, and why are they on Avenue Road? Why are they on that bridge? And I, that, I think, is, I think, a very, very crucial point here. And you're right, because it is about Jews. It is not about Israel.
and let me put it to you like this because you have a very intelligent audience andrew that is not heard by elites it is not heard mm -hmm. it does not count i consider a lot of people watching you they're forgotten but they're the actual canadians that make this country work every day day in and day out and i pose this question andrew to your audience this will be a shorter one because it's your show and i don't want to dominate it even though i have said what we're watching i, I dominate on your show when i'm on it's all I, good you do and i love your voice but this is all about submission to a force yeah. from the east anybody knows what i'm saying that's what this is if you don't understand what i'm saying just read demographics just read how many jews are left in the world and my birth rates and just read about the other religion and that demographic and that birth rate. Just read the difference in numbers. I can say them, but people think I'm making it up. 1.8 billion and growing of the religion that is dominating Canada, 15 million and dwindling of people with the last name Goldkind. But here's the question that I pose to your audience, who I think are continually forgotten in this country. If there was exactly what we're seeing here with a Jewish residential neighborhood, just for your audience across Canada, Andrew, this is a Jewish residential neighborhood. There are delis there. There are Jewish delis. There is nothing of any government, any infrastructure, anything there just for people to understand this. Now imagine if the same thing was done in an Islamic area, or in an area where there is a mosque or just a generally significant Muslim population, there would be fire and brimstone. Mm -hmm. And I say this, I, I'm not being facetious, Andrew. There would not only be fire and brimstone from Trudeau, who remember when there was the hijab hoax was on it like white on rice. He was completely silent here for about a week. There would be fire and brimstone from politicians there would be fire and brimstone from mass media, not just True North and people who have to do the journalism. Karima, you saw the video. Yeah. Why yeah. is that not? Why is she the one where the viral video has gone worldwide versus? I mean, look, I, I'm a big fan of mass media. You know, I, I do a lot of television, Andrew. I, I'm <laughs> like, let's be real about this. But again, then you ask yourself if this was around a mosque or a generally Muslim area in Toronto, of which there are many very specific ones, there would be fire and brimstone and hell to pay. But as your audience is probably thinking rhetorically, no Jew or Christian, despite how passionately we might feel about an issue, would ever do, would ever, ever do what we see these men doing. And these men, by the way, Andrew, all either on the public dole or at the bank of overseas laundered mummy and daddy money. And many of your audience doesn't realize, Andrew, that you are paying the food, rent and shelter of these men that are wishing that I be dumped into the sea. It's outrageous. It's obnoxious. But here, because I am a lawyer, Andrew, it is also unlawful. And the police are not only enabling it, they are aiding and abetting it. Not one of your viewers, Andrew, if there was a crime in progress, would be able to aid and abet live on video and not get arrested. But I'm sorry, we're now doing Timmy's and coffee runs and helping them block. It's astounding to me. And as you've seen, because you've been on my show and you and I have debated this, I do believe this is the beginning of the end. I think you're a bit more optimistic than me. 
but hopefully this is a wake-up call to people throughout this country because certainly it's being watched around the world. One of the challenges, and we saw this especially during the convoy protests, is you get police that say, well, you know, we need to get our marching orders from political leaders, and then you get leaders in government that say, well, we don't direct police. And you end up with a lot of buck passing here, and in the end, no one gets done. So so where is the leadership supposed to come from? Is it supposed to be the Toronto Police Service that unilaterally go in there and say, we're going to deal with this? Or do you need to get a Doug Ford to come out and say, uh, this is the expectation? So that's such a wonderful question because it's, you know, passing the buck, which is what these people do better than anybody else. The right hand doesn't speak to the left. I am tired of watching these politicians. Ontario Solicitor General, I use that word specifically, Ontario Solicitor General is doing nothing but tweeting. He's tweeting that this is unacceptable. You're the frigging Solicitor General. He's also Jewish, I I should point out as well. Michael Kersner. I mean, James passed. Look, and I'm sure these are good people. If they joined us right now, we'd have a grown up adult discussion. I'm not. But you're the you're not Ari Goldkind tweeting. I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I take cases. I'm not the solicitor general. And to see these people sitting on Twitter, I, I mean, using their thumbs to your question, they shouldn't have to do anything. The Toronto police brass. This is not even a frontline policing issue to me, Andrew, as much as I have no problem throwing anybody under the bus. These frontline officers who stand around and watch death threats be issued, let's not forget that little event in the Eaton Centre that that the police are themselves standing with their hands behind their backs, handcuffed. There's a word for people like this. It starts, well, I'm not even going to say it, but it's it's a word that is uh, in adult movies where they're just standing around like feckless. I don't want to say it. At the end of the day, you cannot have a police force that picks and chooses who gets to commit crimes and who doesn't. And I can make so many of the points you've probably made before I joined you this afternoon, Andrew, about the double standard of the Freedom Convoy, bank accounts frozen. The second in the G20 that protesters masked, The second they concealed their identity, which many of these ghoulish and ghastly Jew haters are proud to do live on video, the police step in. And Andrew, just for your audience to know what the police standard is, because a lot of people think just go in and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a reasonable ground to lay a charge. Doesn't mean there should be a conviction. Doesn't mean you worry about a good defense lawyer like me or the thousands of good defense lawyers can get them out of the charge. It's, is there a reasonable ground to lay the charge? And I can lay out for you, Andrew, right now, and I won't do it, four or five sections of the criminal code that a first-year, moronically woke, dumb, unmeritorious first-year law student in so many of our crappy new law schools in Ontario and in Canada would be able to look at and say, yep, I'm watching that crime happen right on video. And for the police to stand there and do nothing... I don't even care about the politicians being mealy-mouthed. I care about the police saying, we're trying to help or de-escalate. And what they're really saying to you, Andrew, is these men, these Jew haters, are so violent and so unpredictable and so predisposed to violence that if we move in, it's going to create a riot rather than quelling this. I'm sorry. What a lack of courage And by the way, what a complete dereliction of duty. 
Very well said, Ari. Just to end on a, a very, very distinct but lighter note, do I understand yes. correctly that this is a, a bit of a special day for you? It is, and uh, I, I didn't know that you know that, but... Uh, <laughs> Someone gave, gave me a little heads up during the interview. Well, I won't ask you how old, but I will say a very happy birthday. We are uh, uh, very well served as a country by having you doing what you do. So thank you well, very much, I appreciate Ari. that, and hopefully your audience watching me right now doesn't think I look the big five zero, but apparently it's a crazily significant... I can't even believe I'm 50, Andrew. It's oh, I didn't know you were 50. I didn't know it was your birthday. I didn't know it was a milestone birthday. I am 50, and it feels insane to me because I still feel like an 18 to 22 year old same exact person bigger bills bigger mortgage bigger responsibility but exact same guy so i can't figure out how i am saying i am 50 years old i just don't get it well you've got the energy and the vigor of an 18 to 22 year old but with much more experience at doing what you do well happy birthday ari and thank you so much for coming on today always good to be with you andrew all right. Thanks very much, Ari Goldkind, criminal defense lawyer in Toronto. We will follow this as the week progresses. Yeah, that was a very half-hearted apology from the Toronto police chief. Oh, no, no, no. We were just passing along the coffee. It was We weren't serving the coffee. We didn't buy them the coffee. Give me a freaking break. Uh, we are in the midst of a new year, but of course, some things never change. One of those is government waste. Yes, it's the gift that keeps on giving. If by gift, you mean debt that keeps on amassing. Uh, there was a new report from our friends at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation this morning, and this report found that over the last decade, like this is a 10-year period, one of the government's great pastimes has been like giving its own employees awards and just like patting themselves on the back through the public service awards. Now, I didn't know that public servants needed awards. I didn't know they had earned awards. In fact, if you look at a report last year from the Parliamentary Budget Officer, it found that uh, federal departments fell short of meeting half of their performance targets. So I don't know what awards they're given. This is not necessarily like the big Golden Globes and the Oscars and all of that, but still, they've spent half a million dollars over the last decade. Most of that was just on like custom trophies uh, but then there's also a, a hefty fat catering bill that gets thrown in through that as well. So uh, this has just been one aspect of this when you just see a, a great disconnect between the way government deals with things and the way people in the real world uh, tend to deal with them. Now, I don't know if you've in the, I, I no judgment. If you in the last 10 years have been giving yourselves, giving yourself awards and you've been hosting these galas to give yourself the awards and you've been getting these uh, fancy, fancy trophies to uh, remind you of just how incredible you were, uh, maybe that is what flies for you. Again, I, I don't want to be too judgmental a person here, but uh, we want to talk about this in a bit more depth here. So we don't have joining us our Alberta correspondent, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation's Alberta director, Chris Sims. Oh, apparently Chris has turned off her camera, so I don't know if we are going to get a, a Chris appearance in a moment. We'll uh, we'll get Chris uh, in just a second here, but, but let me just read through some of the greatest hits from this here. Uh, this is, I, I should be precise, uh, $476,000. And that's what taxpayers had to spend. Now, this is from 2012 to 2022. But the hilarious thing is they launched this award in uh, 2005 with 14 award categories to recognize government employees who demonstrated excellence in achieving results. 
Uh, so excellence in achieving results for Canadians. So if you've been feeling like you've been really getting results from your public servants, uh, Chris Sims from the CTF, we have her at long last. Chris, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Sorry, I always get a gremlin just before I go on your show. My camera clicks off. So yeah, this was great work that was done by my friend and colleague, Ryan Thorpe. He is our resident investigative journalist. A lot of folks may not know this, but we actually have a full-time investigative journalist paid on staff at the Taxpayers Federation. We did this, Andrew, because as you know, uh, investigative journalists are an endangered species now. And so we created this little terrarium for him and he now lives under his little heat lamp in Ottawa. I think he lives down the street from Franco Terrazano. And Ryan dug up these great ATIP uh, documents that showed that not only, Andrew, are they doing this Public Service Excellence Awards, which started under Prime Minister Paul Martin, by the way, 10 years ago, uh, but they also do this big, catering gala they actually had duck prosciutto like i didn't know that you could do that i thought prosciutto was like pork like i'm totally showing my roots here but apparently <laughs> like it must just be you can turn no duck prosciutto in lethbridge is there no at least not I, I, so I did hang on on this i i got i did an artist rendering of the menu before the show started <laughs> i i used there's this program called mid journey which is like a photo generating ai and I basically plugged in the government's catering menu here so I could get a sense of what these uh, bureaucrats were getting. Sean, can you put the graphic up? There we go. So this oh. is charcuterie featuring cured Arctic char and duck prosciutto. I didn't ask the AI engine to do the champagne in the background. It just kind of got the sense on its own yeah. that the government of Canada employees were probably having champagne. Uh, but yeah, that that is the AI, pretty good actually, AI generated uh, government charcuterie platter. I think the Arctic char is the pink stuff on the left. And I think the duck prosciutto is the stuff in the middle just to the left of the green olives. But uh, like I said, I haven't seen duck prosciutto, so I, I don't and know for sure. Me neither. Well, maybe when you go over to the WEF forum, they'll throw some for you over the wall. They're not letting you in, but maybe they'll send you a doggy bag. This, this, is, this is what's so annoying, okay, is that you'll have the government say something like, oh, well, we've been fiscally responsible for the past 10 years or whatever. And then the moment you tell them, hey, you guys are wasting a lot of money, they get all huffy. And they're like, well, what do you want to cancel first? Education for children or healthcare for old people? It's like, well, maybe don't throw yourself an awards gala for bureaucrats. Maybe don't hand out antique gold trophies on glass marble bases. Just stop doing that. Don't hire a photographer. Don't literally roll out a red carpet for yourselves. This is all taxpayers' money. We have to stress this, okay? We know there are some corporations, if you're a big company, you do give out awards for a job well done, but you all chip in over the year. Like people donate their pay to this fund and they'll have like a big dinner and then they'll recognize people and you'll get some little crystal thing and you keep it on your, on your shelf. No, no, this is not coming from their own little fund. This is taxpayer-funded yeah. awards galas here. I, I misunderstood. I thought the red carpet was just like a gender reveal for the debt. Like you just, we roll it out and it's like, oh, we're in the red today. 
That's such a good idea. We should do that next time with the debt clock. Well, it's always, you don't even need to buy up. a black carpet. It's always red every year. That's the, the reality here. of it. Here. That's it. We're going to put that with the debt clock. Next time we yeah. do a debt clock tour, we're just going to roll it out. And that's going to be the reveal. That's a brilliant idea. I, so I, I'm looking at this too. And I, they, they as might as well make all the trophy snowflakes. Because this is really just the snowflake award thing here. Where you've not even done your job well, but we're going to give you an award for not doing it. Because you didn't do it better than anyone else did didn't do it in the company. Yeah, it's not only awards to bureaucrats, it's participation <laughs> awards to bureaucrats that were handy. Like every now and then there's a moment that happens in our current crazy wacky culture. And this is one of them. This is just peak woke silliness of handing out a participation trophy to a bureaucrat at taxpayer's expense while eating duck prosciutto. I, I just realized when I did the AI photo, I forgot to put in the pork terrine. Uh, right. So there was also a pork. I, we didn't do the AI. We'll have to like bill another $10,000 and, and put. The, is that a paste or is that a soup? A pork terrine. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like a pate. Oh, okay. Yeah. But a pork <laughs> pate. So they took the pork out of the prosciutto and instead put it into the terrine when the terrine should have been duck. They're going all freaky Friday here. Uh, <laughs> this, this is all that Sean and I are going to be eating next week in Davos. <laughs> reminds me of speaking of Davos which you have to fly to I assume you're not yes. gonna you're not gonna parasail over no there we're not doing Greta? like the Greta Thunberg transatlantic sailboat or anything so, so you'd be there in a month so <laughs> maybe. oh we missed it time to go back and in January no you die yes. don't try to do that um this reminds me of the in-flight service that the governor general had right we all had to look up what beef carpaccio was but she was eating it I knew what beef wellington was from Bugs Bunny but I had to look up what beef carpaccio was, but we all paid for it. This is the thing, folks. There's literally, no pun intended, so much fat to trim here that they blew almost half a million dollars on a public service trophy ceremony over the past decade. Harper government included, I will point out. This sort of nonsense was going on under the Harper government's nose, too. There was also one. I, I looked up one of the uh, documents. Uh, this was in 2021 where they even spent, I think it was like $37,000 on a virtual event. So they didn't even like have to all be in the same room and it still cost them uh, $20,000 for, no, $15,000 for trophies, uh, $20,000 to develop an online platform because apparently $200 for a Zoom subscription was too complicated and a $2,000 speech writer. So even your crappy human resources award show, you can't even just write the speech on the back of a napkin like every other crappy boss does you hired a speech writer <laughs> right and or you can't even get one of your millions of middle managers who are keyboard warriors at the best of times to write a speech on their own time no you had to contract that out to can, can we, else. we should atip the speech i want to find out what oh, speech we got for two thousand dollars that's a really good idea if you're listening ryan thorpe i want to get the speech he wants the speech. Okay, I will mention that to Ryan. And like, just to put a poetic note on this, okay? Uh, the Taxpayers Federation, this is definitely going to be in the running for a Teddy Waste Award. We do our own awards show, okay, that the foundation and the organization pays for itself. It gets tons of media coverage and it's, it's announcing government waste. We hand out trophies for that, okay? There's a big gala, but we keep the trophies. Andrew, I got one of these trophies once that I built myself. Do you remember that show, Babe? <laughs> With the pig? Oh yeah, Babe the Pig. Yeah. So I found well, he, a... Babe the Pig is actually now the pork terrine that the bureaucrats are being served. 
2023 wasn't good to him. That's just too much art. That's perfect. I love it. It doesn't have a government grant attached to it. That's good. I took a babe piggy bank from the thrift store I found and I spray bombed it gold and I glued it to some wood. Like, I think it cost $4. Like, And that was the prototype. That was the original Teddy. Sure. And it's right behind me here in my office. Like it's back there, like next to the Millennium Falcon. Like <laughs> it's just pretty good stuff. It's pretty good stuff. And so this is what we're saying. We're not saying you can't have fun. We're not saying you can't award people for truly doing a good job. No participation uh, trophies allowed. But you have to be real. You have to realize that real people are paying for this. Okay. Taxpayers are strapped. They can't afford most normal things. And the idea of you guys handing each other awards on a red carpet while eating fancy duck and gold trophies being handed out, the optics of this are terrible and they need to stop it. Like they don't need to reduce it. They need to stop doing this. Uh, one other story you flagged uh, just before we went on air here. What's yeah. this about a federal plastics registry? Yeah, this is a big thing, I think. I think it's going to be a big thing. It could turn into nothing where they get spooked and they, they run away from it like they did when they floated their idea of a pickup truck tax, which was a real thing, and it was in a government report. I will stand by that. And then they ran away from it saying, oh, no, no, nothing to see here. You caught my hand in the cookie jar. So now the federal government is putting out word basically saying, uh, we want to get feedback from people about having a plastics registry. So what this looks and smells like is you might remember years back, groups like the OECD uh, and the United Nations put out an idea of EPR, Extended Producer Responsibility. What that means in normal people talk is that uh, a pizza place or a bulk barn, for example, would be responsible for every bit of packaging that leaves their store forever. So they're the ones that then need to track it. And as a consumer, you would need to pay an extra fee for using yeah. a pizza box. So this is what this sounds like. Our alarm comes from the fact that the government is terrible at most things. Like, awful. They couldn't organize a two-car parade. Okay? Their last registry of the long gun registry was a disaster. It didn't make anybody safer. And it ballooned to, I think, close to $2 billion in 1990s money. That's a ton of money wasted. Mm. The idea that they're going to start a plastics registry for what? Like your little olive containers? Does that include the wrap that goes around your meat? Like toys? Like what are they talking about? This just reeks of boondoggle. And we wanted to flag it for people because they squeaked it out late in the day on December 29th. Like in the middle of the big fog that people are usually in mm -hmm. between Christmas and New Year's. So big flag. Take a look at the... Just look at the government website, plastics registration. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's insane and it's going to be bureaucratic, uh, regulatory, red tape, burdensome, all of that. When I first saw the the plastics registry, I was concerned that like Kim Kardashian would have to cancel her upcoming Canadian tour. Unless she, <laughs> she no longer registered. exists. <laughs> yeah, she had to, she couldn't register with the government in time to do the plastics <laughs> registry. So uh, there we go. But but it, it's insane. And, and the serious point of all of this yeah. is that uh, this is the kind of thing that forces companies to say, I'm just not going to do business here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is I had tons of conversations uh, with independent restaurant operators. It was heartbreaking during the lockdown in British Columbia, where they were co contacting me because they were also cracking down in Vancouver 
on single use items. And there was this, I remember this poor guy, he's been running his restaurant for the last five years leading up to the lockdowns. Then the lockdowns hit and here he was trying desperately to stay afloat and was selling food out the door or a takeaway as they would mm -hmm. call it in, in the UK. And then they, he was nailed with, I think, I think his costs of his containers for food, I think they quadrupled out from under him because of the new regulations that were being put in. But I think it was by the city itself. Imagine that now at a federal level and keep in mind vancouver was going full crazy they were going to try to start forcing people to all share a communal pool of sippy cups in order to ban single-use coffee cups like i'm not kidding everybody in vancouver would have had to share this communal pool of shared mm -hmm. cups and so that's where these ideas come from or places like that and this could be nothing this could turn into nothing. Um, they could be floating it as a trial balloon and it could disappear and you'll never hear about it again. I would love to think that it would, could be used as like a return it recycling depot thing, which most people are used to doing with their cans and bottles, but not lately. Lately, the last 10 years, especially with the, especially the federal government, it mm -hmm. gives them a chance and the cost will quadruple and it also won't work. So this is where we're really trying to flag this for people. All right, Chris Sims, the Alberta director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I know we'll be doing the show from Davos next week. We'll still have you on in the Monday slot here. Thank you so much, Chris. All right. Be careful over there. All right. I will. Uh, not too many pork terrines for me. You never know what's in them. Uh, that does it for us for today. We'll be back in 23 hours and 15 minutes with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.